Welcome to the Department of Building Inspections Brown Bag Lunch. Uh, this is part of a series we run on the third Thursday of every month here at the Department of Building Inspection on topics of general interest. And today we are going to talk about a subject that comes up a lot when people get permits, which is, am I going to be able to recoup the value of the work that I do on my property? How does my improvement or my repair affect my property value? And so we have guests today, Jonathan Deason from Vanguard. Thanks for coming. Thank you. And Hi. James Nunemacher from Vanguard. Thank you, Lawrence. And Alice Micklewright, Pacific Union, is that right? Yes. And Alice is an old friend and, an old, and a neighbor from the Inner Sunset for many years as well. Uh, thanks for coming. Thank um, I've got a whole big handout of stuff about what other people think uh, values might be when you do work on your home. But, of course, San Francisco is a different world. It is. Isn't it? In what way is it a different world, James? Tell us. Well, that. we have so many micro districts and, and, mic and pockets of, of different values, all within sometimes two or three blocks. So answering the question for one house may not always be the same as answering the same question for a different house, for example. Mm -hmm. So give us a give us an idea. So if you put a deck on where you get a view, you get a different value than if you sure. put a deck on where you don't have a view. Sure. Or the value of a, of, a, of a simple kitchen remodel uh, versus a really fancy kitchen remodel in a house that might be worth quite a bit more than a, than a condominium on the same block even. So those kind of things really can matter in, uh, uh, quite a bit and make a difference. Mm -hmm. And also we got a request from uh, one of our viewers to make sure that we talk about under what home improvements result in revised building uh, taxes. And I guess is that oh, appraisal right. accessible. Accessible. That's what they call it. Accessible. That's right. Well, the other thing that might be brought out are people that over improve. Sure. Talks about that there is a, a fine line, and it's always I recommend that my clients, particularly or anyone, talk to realtors before they start home improvements. And it's mm -hmm. a really good idea to get an idea of specifically that neighborhood, that house on how it can be done. Page 22 of the handout here, uh, spend an hour with a pro if it's a real estate person or somebody yeah. else that's gone through what you've gone through to talk about what that value means and how it's going to add a value to your home or if it's going to be overspending on something that maybe you could do without. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It, it, it's, it's so individual. And it also is very important to know why you're doing it. Are you doing it to add value to your house? Or are you doing it because you're going to live there for 20 years and you want a nicer kitchen? Exactly. You know, I mean, if it costs $20,000 but only adds $15,000 of value, uh, but you're going to be, you know, happy as a clam there, that's different than if you're wanting to sell it in three or four years. I'll give a quick example. I had a lady who bought a, a, a couple units and wanted my opinion years ago near Alamo Square, and she was... Had an old, it was an old Victorian, it had an old brick foundation, and she was um, absolutely convinced that that foundation had to be concrete and had to be concrete tomorrow morning. So she bought the house, the first thing she did, and she had all these different people come and look at the different ways she could do it, and someone convinced her that she should really beef it up and do it to the degree that she could add another unit or another living space down there, down the line, if she so chose. So this is 10 years later, and against my advice, she probably spent $100,000 on pouring all kinds of concrete down there. And to this day, it just sits there as an empty shell of a basement, which is sort of useless, really. So I, I, I think you can get, oftentimes you can get expert opinions from many different people, and um, the value question is a different question than an expert opinion on a particular subject. A value question is a question of, 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 of just that, the value of the property and 
and is it over improving? Um, sometimes a contractor will tell you otherwise when the, the value is a question for probably a salesperson. And I think that was something that John brought out too is, is what value? Is it value to you? Is it value to the appraiser that comes in in a month's time when you sell it? Sure. So value is, is certainly individual. And it, we do see houses, unfortunately, as um, James was saying, that maybe they do beef up the foundation, but on the other hand, there's so many that just do the, um, the fluff the, you know, and don't do anything behind the walls, which is also an, uh, an issue f for us that when we go in there, but, you know, people buy it. But um, we have to really make sure that the, the homeowner is aware of both. Um, something else that is a typical sort of misnomer, I think, that, well, remodeling, you know, remodeling my house, doing quick little renovations before I would sell it or try to market it or something might increase its value. Not necessarily always, and, and not necessarily in all instances. Um, one thing that, uh, you know, there's, there's different levels of that, and that's why I think it's so important to get professional opinions about your true goals, to see if your goals for doing a, a major improvement or even a minor improvement on your property, if those goals line up with the market situation at all, um, and how best to reach those goals. Maybe there's ways to reach those goals for you in a personal uh, way that, may not involve a heavier remodel. Let me, um, let me mention a couple of things that come up at the building department. I see people coming in to replace brick foundations and do other work that they believe is necessary without actually having consulted with an engineer or an architect. So in some cases, they do things that they think should be done that are actually not where their money could be much better spent if their goal is to improve the structural quality of their house they'd have a much uh, steeper improvement curve if they put it in the ground floor in the garage area rather than replace a brick foundation, for example. In the course of uh, what I do every day, I see a lot of people uh, who have undertaken various kinds of remodels without benefit of proper permitting. And one of the key questions that's always asked, uh, I'd like to have your opinions about, which is um, what is the relative benefit to doing work to one's home prior to sale with permit versus without permit? And is it a good step to take to seek to legalize things that were done in the past that might have been done without permits? And essentially what I'm asking is, what percentage of the value added do you get from your kitchen remodel if you haven't got a permit for it? Are you saying that this is already built or they're, go want, they're interested in building and they want to know whether they should do it with permit or without? Most because often I find it's the, it's the former, but of course the latter does come up. People do yeah. consider it at that moment. But well, usually it's whether they're going to, going to go back and permit something that was done illegally. That's, that's really tricky. I mean, I think it has a lot to do with um, the expectation of the amount of money they'll get for the property. It's the same thing, you know, to get value. Um, it's just you have to... Um, you really have to disclose, disclose, disclose in that case. It has happened to me before, and it's mainly because you can't see what's behind the walls. I mean, we can tell that to buyers and sellers, too, that the buyers are certainly, and they should be concerned about what the electrical looks like, where the plumbing is, what, what's happening to something that hasn't been uh, permitted. It could be just fine. And a lot of um, 
owners will tell you, but I had my Uncle Joe do it, and he's a, he, you know, he is a plumber and he is an electrician, but we just didn't want to spend the time and money to do the um, permit process. Well, that's fine, but it's really hard to convince a buyer. So it's going to make it have an effect on the value. There's no question. And if they want to go through the process, great. I've had, I've had sellers and required them to go through for a second bathroom. For instance, it wasn't permitted, but everything was done properly. It was a contractor that owned the house. He went back and got it permitted, and it wasn't that big a deal. I mean, everything was done properly, so he could do it. I think they should find out what the process will take. You know, and, and absolutely, if they're doing new, new, new work, definitely, the, um, there is a, you know, people are looking at three R's very, they scrutinize them. And if that completion isn't on there, they're, they're concerned. So three R, three R is report of residential record. It's a document that basically summarizes what is in the city's building department records about work that's been done. And it's a required document that is disclosed from a seller to a buyer at the time of property sale. Sure. James? Well, it, it's a big topic because everyone knows that there are, I don't even, we used to say 60,000, I don't know anymore what to say, but we used to say there are 60,000 quote-unquote illegal or unauthorized units in San Francisco that exist and people live in them. So what does that all mean? Well, it means probably those units were built without a permit or, or the use of them is certainly uh, an unpermitted use. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the work done on those on, uh, to add a room down in a basement behind a garage, for example, was done without permit, but it might the actual use of the finished space might be uh, a non-authorized use, a non-permitted use. So, so there are subtleties. Explain. So you might have a you, room you could, down. You could have a room downstairs. You could even have a sink in the room. Um, as a family room with a, a wet bar kind of thing maybe, but the city starts getting funny about that kind of thing already. It it's sounds like an illegal unit already. But it's, it's not always a bad thing. And I, I wouldn't say that uh, in many instances legalizing, and the term legal is a really strong term. I think in our business, in the sales business, we, we try to avoid that term because legal has many, many implications. And to say something's legal or illegal has all the implications in the world, and nine times out of ten, we can't really say. We can say it's permitted or not permitted, or under this permit it was authorized or was not authorized. That's a different statement. So that's the little subtleties in our complex town of San Francisco here that we have to be mindful of as well. But one thing I wanted to say back to uh, Jeremy's question was there are quite a few uh, very good people in San Francisco to go to if you want to legalize something that had been done without a permit in the past or you want to go and get a permit for a remodel that was done or a bathroom that was added downstairs without a permit and you feel like your uncle, in Alice's case, maybe was in your example, may have done it properly uh, to go back and get a permit, oftentimes it's no big deal and it is a good thing to do. Um, and there are many uh, uh, companies that specialize in doing just that. So you can do that. It depends, once again, on your goal. If your goal is to sell the property or your goal is to avoid neighbor complaints. So there could be two different goals there with two different results of, of, of choices about how you go about taking care of the bathroom that you built in the basement without a permit. Or you may do nothing. And that may be okay too. So not well, Jer always. Jeremy's question was focused on but related to value. So 
It, um, I'm yeah. Go out on a limb right. A bit okay. Take a shot. Sure. Say the the, the um, hypothetical of a kitchen remodel, you know, high-end remodel yeah. that was done uh, without a benefit of permit. Um, what percentage of value are they leaving on the table by selling that without uh, without a benefit of a permit? I think uh, in my in my experience, which is less than Alice and James's. Um, Eight times out of ten in the residential context, buyers are not – it not being done without – it being done without a permit is – you can convince them that it's okay. Um, when there's multiple units involved or there's an illegal in-law uh, that people want to rent out, then you're dealing with more value issue. But, for instance, in a kitchen or a bath remodel, in my experience, it doesn't seem pe – right. buyers are not as – scared by that. I should mention that from the city's point of view, when you buy the building, you're buying the problems. Sure. You're buying that unit without permits, or you're buying that kitchen remodel without permits, and so hopefully it was disclosed at the time of sale. Right. Disclosed, but it becomes disclosed. disclosed yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there's one example that I have of a mm -hmm. property I sold um, about four years ago. You might, it was a $3 million property, and they had never gotten their completion notice. Hmm. Now, the other thing I would say, it depends on the marketplace itself. In the, today, at, that, at that moment. Exactly. Yeah, at at that moment, moment in time, we got a buyer. Right. And they took it without a completion. Uh, we disclosed, disclosed, disclosed as to why there wasn't. It had to do with the fire escape. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, and the buyers took it on, and we were very clear. And when it was going to be sold again, Two years later, I got a call from the agent, who was the buyer's agent, to ask me about a property I'd sold previously. So we, you know, we're involved forever, it seems, in some cases. But the other thing I'm going to, so they bought it then. Today, it would be a different story, I think. I think the value, they would take money off for it. And the other thing about the illegal rooms down, I would just say that if it's obvious to the appraiser, the appraisal is a big thing for us now, obviously, for value. And the appraiser, if it looks legal, he might count it as a room. Otherwise, he might not count it within the square footage, and that could affect value. Uh, if it looks legal, he might not go and check it. But if it's got low ceilings, no window, and someone's calling it a room, there's going to be a question of value on it. Another big issue in San Francisco for questions of value with regard to is there a permit or not done for a certain work on a property have to do with the future potential uh, and someone's intent to condo convert a building. And that's a big one because I just went through this recently on a two-unit building, for example, where there was a deck that was built without a permit to be used as a recreational deck, but on the building plans itself on, that were approved by the city of San Francisco by the Department of Building Inspection, there were there was a deck shown. It said the word deck. There were the railings on the plan around the surface of this roof deck, but and there was a full staircase to get up to this deck, but there was no. Uh, so so we had a problem because the building inspection uh, that was done for the sale of the property. Uh, by the buyer indicated that, uh, well, this can't be a, a, 
permitted roof deck because there's no second means of egress on this uh, from this deck. So, in digging around a little bit more, that was we found that to be true. Um, this was a two-unit building that the buyers fully intended to go through and apply for a condominium conversion at some point in the near future, in the next year or two. So that was a big deal for them because what they found out in, in their search is that, of course, they'd either have to remove what was there or find a way to add a second means of egress. So, yes, that and that was a $10,000 problem. So, sure. Well, I, I I think I need to chip in here and say the codes have recently changed about second means of egress for right. one and two family homes. Just so you know, only one exit is required for each unit this of was one or two family home. But this predated this was, that. Go ahead. Okay, we go back to the illegal units in downstairs. Yes. Uh, my friend uh, has one and rented it out. Sure. Uh, but neighbor, you know, is complaining about it to many people. So, I mean, what kind of problem can my friend get in this kind of situation? Have illegal units. Well, I think that's more of Lawrence. To <laughs> there are endless problems you can get into renting an illegal unit. It's endless. True. You're an attorney. You want to talk about the endless problems, or you know, just leave it open? I'll, I'll, I think I'll leave it open. Okay. There are problems related to the city and the city's enforcement and planning and planning's enforcement. Problems related to the tenant who has rights to uh, implied warranty of habitability and all the other things that are. Uh, tenants can deserve. There are problems about rent, and is is the landlord permitted to collect rent for an illegal unit? It's, is there rent control? It's an endless series of problems. I mean, but it was exist many decades ago. Okay, that's an and, excellent uh, point. But so, according to value, that has something too. Okay, let, we'll talk about the value. But let me just say, if it's existed for a long time, mm -hmm. that doesn't make it okay. It just means they've gotten away. Somebody put it in, and they got away with it for a long time. But that doesn't mean it's okay just because it's been there 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. That does make it okay, unfortunately. So that means the inspector can come in and uh, kick out the tenant and uh, tear out all the room in downstairs? Well, we do not mm -hmm. inspect those on a routine basis. We only look at them if we receive a complaint. Oh. And then we don't kick the people out. We tell the property owner, you have this problem. Oh. You have to figure out how to solve your problem. Maybe you can legalize the unit. Maybe they can make some other change. So that means anybody can complain and uh, yeah, make trouble right. with my friend. They can. Yeah, and I want to, when we go to sell a property like that, if your friend wanted to sell her single-family house and she had a tenant in the illegal unit, mm -hmm. if we write up the statement that we hand out to all the people that come in, this has happened a couple of times, that we put a legality of unit unknown by tenant or, or owner and agent, or illegal was also the term that we used to use. And the neighbors see that. Some of them could be angry and call the, the, the building department at the time of sale. They can call them for any reason and, and do it. But that is often, we've seen that happen. And the city has a pr problem too. They could make it illegal and then the owner also has to deal with the um, uh, rent control board because it's difficult to get a tenant out on that basis. It's very tricky and it's also more difficult to sell a property with a tenant in it in a, in a non-permitted unit. <laughs> Hugely more difficult. Yeah. 
So the value is, they might be making money on rent, but John could probably speak to that too. That, yeah, I that think this kind of situation in San Francisco is very common, especially in the right. sunset oh, area. Yeah. Yeah, right. A single house. Yes, we know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a big, uh, it's a big issue. It's a policy issue. We have you know, up to tens of thousands of these sure. units in the city. They actually serve an important function. They provide housing. They provide, provide moderate income housing and low and moderate income housing. Um, very, very few of them ever meet the minimum standards for <laughs> habitability. You know, they don't. I've been in hundreds yeah. of these units. And I don't think I have ever in my experience in many decades been in a, a unit that was built without permits that meets the requirements of the building code. Mm. Not be, once. Yeah, because so what, we, what we have is a sort of a double standard of habitability here where people who meet the code live in a standard that we have all agreed upon, that is mm -hmm. the law, and people who live in units that are not permitted in almost every case have some lower standard. Of habitability. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it is. But you know, the tenant paid a low rent too. Yeah, they pay a low rent. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. I just wanted to add my two cents to that issue. I've legalized dozens and dozens of <laughs> dwelling units, illegal units, uh, for for people in San Francisco, and in the last ten years, it's really been a sea change within the bureaucracy, the building and planning departments, where um, the attitude has been very proactive in trying to help property owners bring things up to code and to save um, these old illegal units rather than force them to be abandoned. So I think that it, it, it's the attitude of the city has really changed a lot and people are much more likely to get help from their building inspector rather than enforcement from their building inspector. What I had hoped we could do is look at this little handout as a sort of a basis for a further discussion and starting on the page one, which is the uh, from a website, a remodeling, home remodeling magazine. There's a long list of things supposedly San Francisco-based, adjusted for local conditions, uh -huh. and how much of a cost you can expect to recoup for the work you're doing in your building. Now, if you're doing work, as Jonathan said, because you want to live there and you want to appreciate the improvement, that's different. But if you're doing work with a clear eye to how much can I get back in a resale, I am shocked to see that under the column that says cost recouped, there's not a single one of these things in the whole 100%. list that says you can get back all your costs. Not one. Some of them you get back a lot. Mm -hmm. Most of them you don't do too well. And uh, is there anything where you recoup your full whole cost of improvement? A view of the Golden Gate Bridge. There you, <laughs> you recoup that one. Yeah. I think more, especially in terms of immediate value and cost recoup, the, the, part of this is a function of our limited housing supply, really, because there just isn't, and that affects value, of course. So if you do a bathroom remodel, they're saying the job cost at $18,000 might recoup $15,000. The hard part in determining that, if that's accurate, you really have to, to compare apples and apples. Is this a house in the Sunset District that's a single-family home with one bath, or is it a you know a three bedroom two bath condominium in the Castro where maybe everything else is really done fairly recently and updated nicely, but maybe the two baths never got updated? Mm -hmm. That would probably change dramatically the resale value on that unit versus the house out in the sunset. I would think so. So these are these are wild figures. Once again, we have to go to seek professional advice uh, with the intent of. of satisfying your goal, whatever your goal would be. Um, and this is a question 
when representing yeah. sellers that we get all the time, should I do this or should I do that? And you really need somebody that's in the industry to come with you and sort of go through and say, no, don't do that, but painting all of this would be great, but don't put in a new counter in the bathroom or in the, in the kitchen. Um, because it's, it's item by item, neighborhood by neighborhood. Um, sometimes sellers are under the impression that if they redo the kitchen, that that'll add more value than they spend. Um, but oftentimes it's the case that the buyer will not want what you as the seller chooses. So in fact, it, it's a detriment because sometimes it even turns buyers away because they're like, oh, that's already redone and I don't want to tear it out because it's so nice, but it's not my taste. So I don't want to pay for someone else's remodel. I don't want to pay for someone else's remodel. So yeah. there, is that, there is that sentiment, which is actually quite large. It is. I, I think a lot of times money well spent is, it's an old adage, but you know, things, certainly if you're just selling a house, a, a lot of times paint is the best thing you can do. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Paint's Absolutely. the number one thing. I mean, it really is. I sold my own house two years ago that um, Lawrence knew. Um, and the interesting thing was that everybody loved my house. And, you know, my husband said, well, everybody loves it. I said, well, <laughs> it's not exactly, you know, uh, universal. And we had a 50s kitchen, as you recall. And I, we had done everything else. The house made it second um, uh, garage, put in storage, you know, did all the right things. And did not always wanted to do the kitchen, redo the kitchen. You know that was the main thing. And people came in and said, "You have to." Well, I love the kitchen. We sold it without redoing the kitchen. We made more money than we thought we could ever could. And they loved the kitchen. And it, it, we just upgraded the um, appliances and painted the whole thing, and did all the things around it. Make sure there was storage, the second parking. You know all all of the things that. If that was one thing that wasn't done, somebody, w I believe, would like it to be very personal, the kitchen particularly. Do everything else. And the, but that was a very big um, lesson in some ways, that I thought it would be a, a value would be taken away for that. It was not. I think another value, that's a good point. I think you're right. Especially, did you happen, if I may ask, did you do countertop change at all or no? On your, you didn't. It was tile highly fifty. You said you did appliances. Tile. Great tile, house, and you did and new appliances. With yellow. Yeah. Appliances. And new appliances can really help a lot, I think, mm -hmm. because really, especially today, the cost, the competitive uh, uh, prices of the appliances are pretty good, and you can really make those changes Absolutely. for three, four, five thousand dollars. You can really get a lot of bang for your buck on appliance changes. I do agree. Plus, they're oftentimes more energy efficient, etc. And the general consensus is people like that. One other thing that I think is often overlooked in terms of value, and I don't know if this particular survey talks about it, is landscape and plants. Because landscaping and plants and trees are really pretty inexpensive uh, as compared to major remodels. And I often feel it's something that's heavily overlooked. It tends to add a lot of value because it's the touchy-feely, emotional uh, part of a property. Oftentimes there's not, we don't have front gardens here in front yards, but maybe there should be a street tree out front or maybe you should have pots with plants in them lining the stairs going up or something. Uh, uh, perhaps the rear garden, even though maybe you never used it because it doesn't get any sun, doesn't matter. Plant in patience, something that doesn't need sun and make it bright and at least warm and, and friendly looking. So I think that's imp those are oftentimes uh, good ways to spend money on adding value to your home too. And it's a plug for stagers, but 
uh, people that are selling their homes do need to have someone that will co absolutely come in. I had a stager come in my house, even though I stage for other people, because mm -hmm. you need to have another eye that will absolutely have you get rid of the little things that you think it, make it look homey, and people love it, and they've always said they loved it. But the value, that's a very big value here. And it's the same thing as the, say, the fluff, but it isn't fluff, paint or anything else. So jo uh, Jonathan or James, you want to talk about staging for a second, what that is? And I see a trend toward doing more staging. What is staging? How important is it in the, well, in the city? So staging is when in a, in a new property or a vacant property, we bring in furniture. Um, but it can also be the property that you have that's your home removing your furniture and bringing in someone else's furniture. The goal in staging is to create a neutral uh, audience, audience neutral environment where buyers can imagine themselves um, without detracting by having your personal photographs on the walls or your grandmother's, you know, throw on the couch. Um, it's, you'll, you'll notice that it's often neutral tones um, nothing too dramatic, not, not very dramatic art. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like being in a hotel room. Um, and we've, 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 uh, we've actually seen staging, in some properties it's, it, it, it's still very popular, but in some, in some, in some ways in this market uh, it's not even, uh, not even necessary in some properties. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think um, a little bit, and I think they're getting a little more daring with color. I mean, there's some color, and also using it because it's expensive. So if you get a stager in that can use your furniture, your things, but just edit, as they say. And as James said about the landscaping, the curb appeal, that is so important, which is missed. You know, you can't leave your car in the tree. You can't leave your kids' bikes. You can't, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. I, I, was, I ride my bike to work. I was riding to work yesterday. And I saw someone had just repainted their front door, and it was a beautiful yellow, deep yellow with a little orange in it. And I was thinking, that didn't cost very much, and all of a sudden their house you know, was really it, yeah, jumped right out at me. So simple things. A red door is a, always a red door. <laughs> or a sure. yellow door. Bright, bright it color. Really, yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned appliances and energy efficiency. How, how much do green improvements? solar systems and new appliances uh, affect the market these days in value. Is everybody looking for green or is that just all just I, talk? I, I, I'm, really <laughs> I'm really trying to push that push more. Up. I'm sure, sure James is yeah. as well, but I'm going to, you know, uh, build it green and, you know, all of the great things that we have available to us, particularly as realtors and um, being able to uh, influence people for value even. We don't have it set up yet, but there is a walkability score on, on the MLS that tells your property how um, green it is by being close to services and close to um, uh, stores, schools, and the walkability. I think they're doing it across the nation now, you know, for every property. And that is coming up quite a bit in marketing. Now, when the green comes in, I think we're hoping and pushing for green designations for the work that people do to make their house green. Yeah, I, I, my own direct experience is that generally the buying public won't pay more because it's green. And that's not something maybe that's, that's uh, 
you know, that people want to hear, but it's the honest to God truth. So that's just my own direct experience now. However, I think it's absolutely uh, what, what will happen with this, with the current green movement in building uh, is that it will become standard. And little by little, it is becoming a standard. So ultimately, it will be frowned upon when a house doesn't have these features or when a property doesn't have these features, I think. And I think that's how it will migrate into society in that way, and that's a good thing. It's just, it's, it's more becoming an awareness of all these different things, whether it's walkability or appliances or window rating, you know, different things like that. So it is, it's a, something that happens over time, and I think it's, it's important. People like to talk about it. Um, I have sold properties where they're, they're solar ready, which means they have all the equipment uh, installed to, uh, to bring the solar uh, uh, down the solar energy from the roof down into the garage or the sub area to then transmit it to the electrical outlets and things. But the actual panels didn't get installed yet because maybe the person didn't want to spend all that extra twenty or thirty thousand dollars or couldn't, you know, that kind of thing. So, but it's a process and it's coming. So I don't think I think it's too important to ignore. You can't, and it's important to at least consider it. Um, maybe someone isn't going to if you spend ten thousand dollars on. Uh, some green things or fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on some sort of a solar system with rebates. Will you get that back? Quite honestly, eh, not sure today. I, I, that I agree, but I think it's a matter of education. And at a meeting last night, somebody said it will soon come to um, what's your MP miles per gallon yeah, on your it house. It will be that. It will be that. And also, this fellow talked about um, being called in for energy staging at a mm -hmm. house to differentiate it in Marin sure. to um, come in and show what had been done for the energy work in this house because it will save money in the sure. end for people. Of course. But I think it's... Uh, Heating bills and things like that. Exactly. We all know the cost of oil is going up and it'll continue to, I think. And it, you know, that's, those will become more and more issues, yeah. bigger issues. And, and, and from the building department and the planning, the building department too. Right. We have some building codes for at the time of sale that require things like upgrades of low-flow shower heads and you know, faucet aerators. We're going to see a tremendous expansion of that over the next few years, I'm sure. In terms of the uh, green building features, in, when people are faced with a, a need in the building, um, do they generally recoup when they make their decision to go green? For instance, uh, the one that I see frequently is windows. When people are, are facing a choice that they, they need to replace or substantially upgrade the windows in the building, if they're choosing to go with a, a greener product, do you think that that has any panache out there in the marketplace? I think it can. Flooring, you know, those kind of things that people might be doing anyhow, but they might pay an additional 10% yeah. for a, a, a greener product. I think if it's green, it's nice. It means someone can nod their head and say, oh, that's great. So it's very hard to attach a dollar figure to it, to be honest with you. But I think the general consensus is, oh, that's great, which is a positive, and that's always a good thing. I mean, uh, do you agree in that way? Yeah, I, do. I think so. How, however, I, I definitely agree, but if you were faced with the decision to put in, say, a cork floor, uh, you know, which is or another alternative green Bamboo. floor um, versus a traditional hardwood floor, that's a decision I probably would not make that bet on because that's a, that's a strong aesthetic thing that a buyer will feel one way or the other about. Do buyers ask about green? Do they raise it? Is it a topic that comes up by buyers? No. no. 
Not yet. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's not true. Yet. Not, uh, not yet. yet. Not but, yet. But I think it, it's coming. We yes. keep saying it's coming, and I think that's important to pay attention to it. Okay, we have with us in the audience a couple of folks from the Department of the Environment, and I see oh, Barry, Barry uh, Hooper has the microphone in front of him. So, Barry, what do you um, have to add to yeah, that? Yeah, well, it's really in this vein, uh, one uh -huh. of the exciting actions that the uh, Association of Realtors has taken has been to be the first in California to provide space in their database for uh, industry standard recognized green measures so that there's some, you know, aside from cork flooring or other surface treatments, which, you know, certainly are considerations, uh, a buyer could have a, a summary information about does this home been measured for its energy performance and is, has some independent um, organization confirmed that uh, you've actually installed what you'd like, you know, that there's a reason to call a home green. And so that, that's only been out there for a few months. But, um, you know, another metric of what that effect that could have on the market when that becomes a little more uh, populated in the database would be looking at whether that affects the days on the market, which would be something I'd expect to be a more likely a, a factor to change because if you were filtering your search on that criteria, that would you have more buyers looking at those particular homes. I think so. I think if it had a very good measure, as these measures become standardized, which we were talking about, I think you're right, they will. It will be something that people will look for, or it will also say other things about the property. It will also say that, oh, okay, this property owner really thought things through carefully, and that's a good thing versus someone that didn't. So... Sure. I think the aesthetics are really important, and we're seeing, you know, a lot more things, a, a, a lot more choices. Let's put it that way. I just put in um, New Zealand pine, which hmm. is an FSC-approved material uh, on the Forest property that Stewardship I Stewardship Council approved. Forest. So we're even getting the terminology <laughs> and trying to, you know, get people used to the idea of it. And cork floors, some people really like them, but I think it's also, if I can say it, to get away from the granola aspect of what sure. people think about green. It isn't. It's, uh, well, it can be, for sure. But it's also um, the aesthetics of it is certainly changing, and that's what John kind of said. Not everybody wants cork floors. or, mm -hmm. But you're getting a lot more choices. And Let me ask a question about... A different topic, which is repairs and maintenance yeah. versus improvements. At what level do, should people do repairs and maintenance to their buildings in order to preserve their property values? You know, people people say, I don't want to in, continue to invest. Look at all this, just ten thousand dollars worth of dry rot here. If you don't do that work, does that just come right off the bottom line of the home sale? Generally, it does. Yeah. I mean, it really does. Mm -hmm. You have to do that work. I mean, I think maintenance is crucial. And maintenance also uh, feeds into the bigger issue, and I'm sorry, it's Barry, yeah. uh, which, which should be a green consideration, is how long does something last? You know, if you're going to put a new deck in, what kind of materials? Are you going to put inexpensive, cheap wood because it's cheap? If, if you have to replace it in five years, it's not cheap because it'll cost you double. You know, it, and it's not good for the environment and, it's, and the rest of it. So you want, you want to look at... Uh, longevity of materials and durability and all those kind of things. Those are the quality of something that's very, very important. And making it, in my view, a green, I'm not a green certifier, but I'll tell you, I mean, that's how I would look at things, you know. Um, it is important, for sure. And, and, and things like decks, that's a crucial point because there are many different kinds of wood mm -hmm. 
that some will last a few years if you leave it outside, treated or untreated, and others will last 25 years and have it be just fine. And I think that's the value of uh, talking to your buyers about this, uh, the FSC woods, the, um, you know, I, I believe this pine that we have or the treks even or, you know, something mm -hmm. on that level. You can say this, this is not a redwood 10-year deck. This is a, you know, a, a New Zealand pine 30-year deck or whatever it is. I'm not sure that's true. But, you know, I think when people get used to that and, and a metal roof, yeah, that's a lot more money. However, sure. it'll last you you know, 50 years. Sure. I think the important thing about maintenance is not deferring too much uh, because <laughs> it just gets worse and worse. Um, and then when you're selling your property, more likely than not, you'll probably have a pest inspection, which is where we have an expert go through and he sees if there's dry rot or fungus or structural problems. And then there's a number at the end of that report, which is how much he estimates the repairs to be. And, you know, if you had spent, you know, $2,500 every five years to seal your deck, that might prevent you from having the $45,000 pest report that you just got. Years later, sure. Years later. And we do that almost immediately, don't sure. we? Upon receiving a, a listing from a seller to sell his property, the first thing we suggest you do, do is to get a pest report to find out what the damages so that there's um, negotiation up front or it's, it's something that's known and we almost never have a zero sure. report. Right. Do those reports usually come off the bottom line when you says $25,000? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's but, market consideration. Yeah. But I would say yes, mm -hmm. oftentimes. Mm -hmm. It will affect the list price in some ways. Sure. Yeah. How much does parking? I see people putting garages under buildings <laughs> in San Francisco. How, how, how do you recruit? How does that work as a... As an investment. Well, an appraiser again. Appraiser looks at it for how much? Fifty thousand? At or, least. Uh, Fifty to a hundred thousand, depending yeah. on the area. I mean, if it's out, way out in the sunset, there's more parking, or up in you know some areas that have street parking. Sure. But you know, in Hayes Valley or something, it could be a very big thing. Parking's still super valuable, even though people, even though there's a certainly a strong citywide movement to get people out of their cars, which is. Uh, uh, quite good, and it's working, which is really nice. I think it is working. The advent of bike lanes everywhere is great. I mean, it's people. We're really seeing that, and it's nice to see people make use of that. But the the garages, that that parking's still a big one, and I think some of that won't change. Uh, it only changes as styles and styles of cars change over long periods of time. So that, that's still a very valuable feature. So here's a little secret. Okay, no nobody knows about this, but us. Okay, <laughs> this is. Fire-rated glazing, okay? This is, this is not a window. This is a fire-rated transparent wall. And so by putting in one of these, and I think maybe Mr. Paul has done this, you can cut a hole in your property line wall where windows are not allowed, put in a fire-rated transparent wall and get that view of the Golden Gate Bridge that would otherwise be blocked. How much have you done, Jeremy? Have you ever used here? Use that mic there. Yeah, I, I have... Um two fantastic view walls in the um, um, east side of my bedroom and um, I have this kind of uh, transparent wall material um, that allows me the views of the Bay Bridge and downtown which I otherwise would not have um, and I'm not so sure I want to tell city planning about this but um, it's, uh, it's great stuff. Uh, it's expensive per square foot but by comparison to the improvement in the quality of my life of having that view, 
I'll pay it. I'm just thinking, how much is a view of the Bay Bridge or the Golden Gate Bridge or downtown worth? It's worth an awful lot. A lot more than the Fifth. roughly $200 a square foot I think I might have paid. So uh, just a, an, a little odd piece of so value enhancement. Question, Lawrence. So the consider that wouldn't necessarily be considered a window from the planning department. Is that, no. That's correct? That's huh. correct. It's a wall. It just happens to be a transparent wall. And it's made with... Special high-temperature glass with intumescent coating between layers of the glazing. Wow. How about that? Structural material. No. There's a, a thin steel angle that goes around, then it just sits inside. It's not structural. We're working on the structural glazing. Well, you'd need to deal, you need to take care of the structural issues. Just like a window. You put a header up above a window. So, anyway. Just thought I'd mention there are ways to substantially increase value at very low cost, and putting in windows where there, where you previously did not have that opportunity, might be one of them. <laughs> there, that'll, I like that. that'll get your attention, huh? Um, here's the four-hour one. You can put this in a high-rise. This stuff. Yeah. Is, it, is it just who who makes these, and how do you? Get um, there are a number of companies that make it. This company is called Technical Glass Products. Hey, there's another. There's some other things that I see. You know, I look at buildings all the time. In fact, sometimes I look at them with you guys, and, yeah. and I look at buildings. And one of the things that I see that seems to be add tremendous value to a building and not cost much money is interior moldings and trim, crown molds, baseboards, chair rails, ceiling trim. Do you find that to be the case? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the style. Depends of the house. on the style. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so if it's a if it's a traditional house, uh, traditional you know San Francisco Edwardian Victorian certainly, uh, but not just everyday ordinary Home Depot crown molding. Probably something a little bit nicer, a little more traditional. Um, but if it's a contemporary, you know, or or at least in the past ten or twenty years, or even six, you know, forty, fifty years, uh, you'd probably want to just consult with a stager or a uh, an interior designer before you just slap up molding. I suggest an architect. These are people who are trained to look sure. at the lay, look at the appearance of buildings and help make decisions. But I've seen it to great advantage, especially in, in the older buildings, you know, mm -hmm. Victorian, Edwardian yeah. style buildings. Hi, I really do agree with you to go with a professional. But is there a particular group? I mean, I know about stagers. They are listed in the yellow pages and all of that. For maybe the exterior, you talk about the curb appeal, something, you know, like windows that he has talked about. Where do I find a list of these people without having to necessarily trouble a realtor who's maybe just interested in selling it? <laughs> sure, no, that's a fair question. I, I, I think in that, just to sort of go uh, address it in different ways, you might want to get a couple different opinions, and it doesn't take long, really. Um, you might want to get an opinion from a realtor, even though I know you think the realtor may just be interested in selling that, and that may be true or may not be true, but even so, to get a 15-minute opinion might be well worth it, might help you round out your decision uh, from your next uh, professional, which might be the architect, as Lawrence suggested, to... Uh, call in a trained architect, especially now because architects are out looking for work and they want the work and they're happy to spend a little time with you and discuss ideas and uh, the, the potential value or problems or complexities with the ideas that you may have or they, they'll come up with some new ideas. So maybe a combination is the right answer there. And with regard to the 
color choices on the exterior. There's many very talented painters in the city that uh, not only paint, they actually have a good eye and can choose nice colors. Yeah. And also interior designers who are also stagers. I mean, it's not limited to the interior, of certainly. It's the whole house. And there's also the landscape architects, if you're thinking of the outside. Sure. But they, there are stagers that can, uh, and designers that can do that. Most of those professional people, architects, engineers, everyone, will sell their services by the hour. You don't have to buy the whole program. You don't have to hire them to redo your whole building. You can say, can I, I'd like to consult with you with a maximum of an hour or two hours, and, and that makes it very reasonable. And you can get a lot out of an hour oh, yeah. somebody who's... And you really knows what they're looking at. They could be clear even with a realtor and say, I'm not selling. I mean, if, as long as you say up front, some people will say, well, I'll tell them that we might sell. And you might sell someday. We're, we're very happy to go out and talk to people just to be known and have you tell other people. It doesn't, you know, an hour of our time would be well spent in getting to know you and, and your house. And uh, we'll just give you advice as to who to call. You know, we have a, we have a good database of people. <laughs> So we're always happy to give it out. Sure. Most good realtors have a tremendous database and tremendous experience in doing just what you're talking about. So I do think it's important uh, resource there to call. Okay. Let's talk about what the assessor recorder oh. does when you do improvements to your building. And if you look at page 36 on today's handout, I got uh, some information this morning from the assessor recorder's office, okay. things that are accessible. That's a funny word for me to say. Accessible. And things that are not accessible. Um, and they have listed things that are accessible, and that means that they will assess them as increases in the value of your property for tax purposes. Horizontal additions, certainly. And by the way, for every addition or every major uh, permit, most permits, we send to the assessor recorder's office, Phil Ting's office, and they have a staff who looks at the building permit. They do not use the value that is on the building permit. That is for our evaluation purposes for charging fees. They have their own mechanisms for appraising and assessing valuation. So it's not the building permit valuation. So a horizontal addition and a vertical addition certainly will result in additional assessment, a new deck. And by the way, decks are interesting because um, the rules change. If you're on the ground and it's a patio, it has different rules both from the building and planning and probably the assessor's office. You, if you lay a flagstone patio, you're not getting a permit for a deck. They're not going to look at the permit. But if you build a, let's say you build a deck and it's less than 30 inches off the ground, 24 inches off the ground, if it's less than 30 inches off the ground, no permit is required. Therefore, it is not a, doesn't go to the assessor recorder's office, less than 30 inches. Between 30 and 36 inches off the ground, you need a permit, and you can expand it to the entire size of your required rear yard. If you're more than 36 inches off the ground, you have to meet the planning department's rear yard, you know, open space requirements and encroachment requirements. So there's a whole, you know, range of deck issues. Boy, that's <laughs> packing them in there fast. Oh, okay. An accessible thing would be converting an unfinished basement or attic into living area, which is happening very often in San Francisco. People taking the back of their garage and turning it into a room or their attic, I see happening a lot. You get reassessed for that. I think that's a very green thing to do because you don't have to add new building envelope. You're basically going into an existing weatherproof envelope. 
Um, do you find that to be a, a generally an improvement as opposed to big additions? Well, that that's a very big addition. We're talking attic space. <laughs> We're talking about retrofitting for earthquake up two right. stories in an Edwardian. I mean, we did it for storage, but yeah. I wouldn't. It, the expense involved, you know, I, I think it would be hard to justify that in most neighborhoods. And if you could be able, only if you'd be able to get enough windows with dormers, etc., um, need light up there. Uh, how about? Uh, uh, converting the attic into uh, storage. Okay, you said you just recently did that, Alice. Yes, a couple of years ago. That's um, that's fairly simple. Uh -huh. I would get a permit, um, and you're allowed a certain amount of space. You, it has to have ventilation, and I mean, Jeremy, I don't, I remember all the rules, but how about property tax? Will increase? Uh, no, I don't think so. Property it does tax. property tax. If you turned your existing empty attic into storage attic, yes. that doesn't sound like you're no, it's converting it into living area. Oh, Their accessible addition would be converting it to living area. Oh, but if you yeah, okay. the storage would be yeah, okay. And okay. It, it's usually by a um, a ladder that pulls down rather than, as James said, accessible. You know, if you staircase. a staircase oh. would have to be oh. livable area with a valid staircase. Okay, thank you. Um, adding a bathroom adding a garage, accessible, adding an elevator. We actually see lots of people adding elevators these days in San Francisco as our population, including us, ages. And, uh, or the houses are getting more vertical. And that's right, houses are getting more vertical. For me? Tool shed. Tool shed. No permit is required for a tool shed that is less than 100 square feet of area looking down bird's eye view, looking down less than 100 square feet, no permit is required. And so without a permit, there is no trigger for a assess assessment. So uh, you could go up two stories? Pardon me? You could go up two stories? Um, no, actually, the planning department has a height limit of, uh, eight, I think it's 8 feet, 10 feet of uh, in the required rear yard area, 8 or 10 feet. You said bird's eye view. <laughs> As some people we know. Keep, keep your hot tub in your tool shed, right? One good thing to think about, though, just in this market, if you've bought your house recently you can, and you're thinking about doing one of these that you think is going to make your assessment go up, you can always apply to the assessor recorders to have your assessed value go down. Okay, that's, uh, we have some information here about that. We'll get to that in a second. Adding a swimming pool, spa, or sauna. Depending on when you bought your house. Yeah, so adding a swimming pool or spa or sauna changed the assessed value of your property. I always hear that swimming pools are one of those things of the least Im yeah. improvement value that get passed on. Oh, yeah. when it can be so extraordinarily expensive. Especially yeah. here, yeah. Increasing the square footage of your home adds, obviously, to assessed value. Demolition of an existing structure in order to construct a new building. Well. I'm not sure quite how that plays out. Do no. they reassess you and when you demolish it? Without building? Without a building. I don't know. But it's on their list here. New additions that are non-assessable. If you put active solar energy systems, according to this, that sunset, this is just until January 1st, 2010, unless it's extended, active solar energy systems like solar photovoltaic or solar hot water heating, that does not trigger additional taxes. That's great. 
renovations that are accessible, bathroom renovations, which include structural changes or plumbing changes, kitchen structural changes and upgrades of the systems, taking the entire house or a portion of the house down to the studs. Uh, in, uh, page 37, a change in use. So when you change in use to go from one use to another, residential to commercial or industrial or whatever, they will consider what the new assessed value will be for that. The next item is repair, replacement, or maintenance non-assessable. So bathrooms replacing cabinets, countertops, flooring, or fixtures with similar quality is non-assessable. Kitchens replacing the cabinets, countertops, and appliances with similar. Um, replacing cast iron Plumbing to copper is non-accessible. Replacing electrical fuse to circuit breakers. Dry rot or termite repairs is a non-accessible maintenance and repair. Replacing windows, doors, fences, decks, re-roofing, um, and elevator HVAC, heating, ventilating, air conditioning repairs. So I could imagine on a kitchen remodel um, that a, a homeowner may, you know, get their permits and have their permits signed off, and eventually uh, DBA, Department of Building Inspection notifies the assessor's office uh, that, these that the homeowner did a kitchen remodel, and they have a formula, and they you know, up their property tax just a little bit. Well, the homeowner, depending on the type of remodel, because I don't know how, where in that chain of process I just described is described clearly to that filters down to the tax assessor, is the similar similar quality material issue brought up. So for example, if somebody took out a kitchen that was a decent kitchen, like your 50s kitchen, which might be pretty good material, and apparently it is, and you replace something with a cabinet that you bought today off the rack somewhere, um, is, the similar, is it a similar quality? Should the kitchen uh, remodel be reassessed really? You might get that tax bill, but if I were you, I'd I'd consider what that meant, I mean, as a homeowner, so I don't know. I, mean, I think what that means is next year we should have the tax uh, assessor recorder's office here to help sure. us answer all those, those questions. Are, those, that's a yeah. tricky thing. I just yeah. read the fine print here, and it does say of similar quality material, right. so right. I don't know exactly what that means. But Well, sort of along those same lines, James, the next yeah. section here are repair and maintenance that they say are accessible, but that under state law you can file a claim exempting this. Oh, I see. Okay. And so there are all sorts of things that are sort of... Uh, I didn't know this, actually. No, that okay. are possible exemptions, and I had hmm. not heard of this either. Disability improvements ADA to an existing building. Hmm. So they will assess it unless you file a claim saying, Oh, really? Okay. Please don't. Boy, I didn't know this. Yeah, hmm. disability improvements, uh, a seismic retrofitting of an existing building. I didn't know that was a potential assessment wow. uh, exclusion. Wow. Fire sprinklers, fire escapes, um, and so on. So this is very interesting, and I think we yeah. do need to get someone from the assessor recorder's office to one of these brown bag lunches. I also find about. it unfortunate that you're going to be assessed or um, punished for putting in newer electrical and, and plumbing, you know, in some instances. Well, I think replacing you're not. But if you upgrade well, it's up to circuit if breakers, but if you're but, upgrading, but if you're replacing, even I mean, it's, well, it is an improvement, and I guess that's how they do it. But let's ask them. We'll ask. Yeah, we'll invite them in. And then uh, the next few pages are general information about the assessor recorder's office, including the appeal, which someone mentioned a few minutes ago, the assessment appeals process, where if you disagree with their valuation assessment, and other uh, contact numbers. So I encourage you to call them.
and ask questions if you have any. Anything you'd like to add to us before we finish uh, Well, I appreciate being on the, the, the panel here and on your uh, program. I think that it is uh, of ultimate importance to really look at one's goals carefully and get a couple of opinions from various professionals. I do think that's important. It helps round out your decision process, hopefully. And keep the, the green thing in mind. <laughs> so, Alice, James, Jonathan, thank you for coming. Thank you. And we'll see you next month for right. Building San Francisco.